He'd never been to church, the little boy. And he wandered into the Sunday school in the middle of the city of Paris one day as he walked by the church and saw children going in. And he thought, what are they doing inside there? The little boy sat down and heard for the first time in his life a story about God. About God the Father. At the end of the hour, before he walked out, the teacher says, You know, it's so nice to see you, little boy. What is your name? And whatever his name was. And she asked, Will you come again next Sunday? Because you are welcome. And with big and teary eyes, he looked at her and says, May I ask you one question, miss? Is God really a father? And she says, yes. Well, then I won't come again next week. And he walks away. It's a pathetic story, but there's a lot of them like that. The man I read about this week was a CEO in a very large company, and he had worked himself up to the highest position. And finally, his whole life broke down. And as he sat down with his counselor trying to figure out what was going on, the whole, the entire matter of his whole life was to prove one thing. That I can do it because my father said I could never do anything good. And now in the middle age of his life, being at the top of a level of a high business, he's still trying to prove his father wrong. Now, these are just two examples of the importance of the subject of the fifth commandment. That father, that little boy in Paris knew was a beast. And he wanted nothing to do with a God that was like a father because that's a scary person. And a successful businessman is still struggling to escape the childhood neglect of a father who failed him. So this evening, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, verse 4, as our reading, and I'll read it also from Colossians. As we're dealing with the fifth commandment, one more time tonight, at least we have to look at the authority. Last week we saw something of it from the husband, tonight the parent. Before we look at the child. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul is instructing on the fifth commandment. Let's read verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Children, obey your parents for uh, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. If you jump to chapter 3 of Colossians, we read a similar and yet a slightly different wording that is important to notice. Colossians 3.21 20, Paul addresses the children. 
Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be dispirited. That's the the Greek word, discouraged, lest they are dispirited. That's a different word than the anger of Ephesians chapter 6. So, with God's help, let's this evening ask our attention to the fifth commandment. Remember, it's God is expecting you and me to honor his authority. As an ambassadorial representative of his authority and as a subject of authority, be that in the fifth commandment, the children or even another, the servant or as we see in Ephesians 5, the wife. So let's this evening ask ourselves about parenting. And that is such a vast subject. We can't do justice to this, and I won't either. But just let's look at Ephesians 6, verse 4, only the first half. I may not preach on the second half because I touched that quite regularly in our baptism Messages and services, but we'll see as the Lord leads this coming week. But the first half of 6, 4, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, lest they, or, and, and Colossians, uh, lest they be, uh, discouraged. So, honor my authority as you exercise it as parents over And on my outline, it says, over our children. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? These are not our children. I need to be reminded of that, and so you do, Mom and Dad. These are not our children. These are the Lord's children. Especially when he has separated them by the sign and seal of his own covenant relationship, they are gods, as Ezekiel 16 points out clearly. So God has made me and the ambassadorial authority over children that ultimately belong to him and not to me. Because, hear this, so shall a man leave his father and mother. They're temporary. Under my authority. And they are going to move on into adulthood at one point in their life. Now, it's amazing how much the Bible spends on biblical and unbiblical parenting. We just sang the whole Psalter 78, Psalm 78, about God is telling us what our task is as fathers and mothers. This is a very important portion of Scripture. We all are familiar with that. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way it should go. Train it up. Drill, teach, so it becomes totally a part of them in the way that they should go. Are they always going to go? No. No, sadly, when children come to adulthood, some of them indeed choose to be disobedient. And that may not be the fault of neglectful parenting. Sometimes very good and godly parents have very rebellious children. 
And we'll see in a moment why that is. So Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, we have read them already. Why it is important for us to learn to better parent our children. Why? Why do you as parents and I need to be committed to study the scriptures about parenting and to seek to grow? Well, let's remember that story. The first God my children learn to know is the one they see in me. Luther said. Remember that story, that young child, oh, God, the father, I want nothing to do with him. So important, friends, the way you parent is theology. You're teaching about God. Or you're twisting his character, misrepresenting it. And that's what God is after in Psalm 78, isn't it? Teach our children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and be rebellious and forget who he is. Now, the second reason why it's so important to seek parenting teaching is that we don't embitter them to leave the faith because of ours. I've chased up. Quite a few young people growing up in our churches who have totally forsaken the faith. And I asked them, what made you decide to completely trash what you grew up with? And the common denominator in all the answers is, I hated the religion of my parents, the way they taught me. Now, that doesn't say anything about the parents yet. Because I haven't researched that question. But there are scores of people who have walked away from the faith because the way we were taught. So let's ask ourselves that question. Lord, am I angering them and embittering them? But there's a third reason why good parenting instruction is so important, congregation. You as a parent are preparing the next generation of office bearers in our church. And listen what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3 verse 4. When we look for a bishop or an elder or a pastor, we need to look for one who is ruling well his own house having his children in subjection with all gravity for a man, if a man know now how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? But how does a youth learn to rule his house well from you and me? Long before they have their own houses. As we model and as we surround them and as we instill in them the examples of parenting, they will be sent forth into the future and will be our next generation of office bearers. So you're building on your future church leaders. That's why parenting takes so much the attention of the scriptures. Now, there's biblical stories that are sad failures. 
when the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 5, this statement about Israel, that they all were drinking of the same spiritual rock and so on. And then he says, but with many of them, God was not pleased. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not follow that. Now, why do you think God is telling us in the Bible all these stories of these failing parents? So that you and I won't repeat the same thing. Look at the household of Isaac and Rebekah. I mean, favoritism of the one over the other. Wonderful family to grow up in, isn't it? Where one favors the one son and the other favors the other son. And you go to Jacob. It is a, it is a, a terrible family life he has. As all his children are walking, nearly all of them, in ways of sin. Where did they learn that from? How did they become so utterly wicked? Well, Jacob was a poor example of a parent, wasn't he? And then we just read tonight of Eli, the high priest. The man just spoke, yeah, words of admonition, but he didn't. Discipline his children. Then we go to David, the man after God's heart. He neglected to punish Amnon when he abused sexually his sister Tamar. He just ignored it. And Adonijah grew up without his father disciplining him and he became a problem. Why is God writing all this? Why is hanging out, as it were, the dirty laundry of all these failing parents so that we may learn not to be like them? The book of Judges begins with this colossal failure of the parents that grew up with Joshua. You know the text, but I have to look it up anyway so I can read it to you. Judges chapter 2 where it says that after Joshua died and after all the elders that lived with him died, and also that generation were gathered unto the fathers, and there arose another generation which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Thomas Manton doesn't say bad children. Thomas Manton says it's bad parents. And mind you, God has warned us the other day in the second commandment. If I as a father misrepresent or neglect to teach my children, I will bring a curse upon my third generation even. There are serious things. That ought to make us take our parenting serious. Now there are some biblical Stories of very inspiring parents. Though Abram is not always the most inspiring figure either, as he has his failures, and that really is actually wonderful that that's recorded. So we know he is a man just like us. But yet God noted in Genesis eighteen nineteen about Abram. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. So God noted that 
He took real charge in his tent as a father, as a patriarch in his tent. We read the story of Job today. But mind you, this wonderful testimony of uh, Timothy's growing up years. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith is in you, Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in thee also. You see that generational line? Even though Timothy had a Greek father who didn't believe, he had mother, grandmother, and God blessed this young man as he grew up from his early days, the teaching of God. But strangely, one of the best parents was a single man with no natural children. The Apostle Paul. He parented his spiritual sons and daughters. And what can we learn from this man of God again? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he writes this. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse, mother, cherisheth her children. He was as a mother to them. He says, I was affectionate, desirous of you. I let my affections be felt. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail night and day I worked among you. You are witnesses. And God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe And ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Here we have a single man, no children, who is parenting example for us today. Now with that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And let's listen to what God is telling us as those who are given the authority and those of us who are to demand, indeed, I use the word demand, the obedience of our children who are to obey God and our parents in the Lord. And then he says, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. God has not given us an easy task, fathers, mothers. And those of you who are here who are no fathers and mothers, please listen up. Someday you might be father and mother. And what better way to learn it before you start? God has not given us an easy task as parents. Why? What's so hard? It's not our children that's so the hardest part of it. Really, it's not our children that's the hardest part. It's you and me. We are parents with an evil heart ourselves. We're living of our own sinfulness. And those of us who have been in the parenting work, we know 
how our children can stir up the ugly, mucky bottom of our hearts instant, instantly sometimes. We know that, don't we? The evil thoughts that can arise in your heart. When we feel frustrated or angry or disrespected, we feel our heart burning within, not with grace, but with the sinfulness of our own hearts. And that's a scary thing to discover. Sometimes we read about how parents lose the plot and are violent with their kids. And we used to judge them, didn't we? I don't know, maybe you still do, but I don't have any stones to throw. Because I know what sometimes comes up in my own heart when I feel disrespected or exhausted. And then having to deal with it again. This is the biggest problem. Not our kids. The heart here. Isn't it? And often these reactions of anger that we show and our frustrations are due to the fact of our own idolatry. Because sadly, for us, isn't it, our children have no respect for our ego. They do not worship my idol. They have their own idol. And they worship that. And so as parents, we are to remember. And as we study from James 4 earlier on, that when we have conflicts, the conflicts usually begin with our own heart. The lust that war within us. And we are given the task. Fathers, mothers, bring up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, parents, we also need to remember that God did not call us to save our children. We don't have to save our children. We are to guide them, we are to guard them, we are to provide for them, we are to teach them, we are to chastise them at times. But God alone has the power to change the heart of these children he has entrusted to us. He didn't ask us to regenerate them. He didn't ask us to convert them. He didn't ask us to give them saving grace. He didn't ask any of that. That's his only, that's his only work and all of his work. We are only the instruments in his hand to bring the grace of God into their lives. That's why we are giving these children so that we may represent Jesus and to bring to them his glory and holiness and grace and love and all the other attributes. Many good and faithful parents live with a tremendous sense of failure because the children did not turn out the way they hoped. Now, obviously, 
if that is the result of my neglect, if that's the result of my failure, if that is the result of wrong methods I have used that I have learned to see at the end, if that is the true congregation, then you need to do two things. You need to first bow your knees before God and confess you failed to do his job well. But you also need to go back to your children and confess that to them as well. That's hard, isn't it? But please do. That may be one of the most powerful redemptive moments. If perhaps you have done and failed in your parenting duty, children are forgiving. They are. If they see in us the genuineness in which we own our own failures and ask them, literally ask them for forgiveness. I've referred to you at times my father was having a short fuse. Busy man, stressful man, and he sometimes made an error of judgment. That didn't always feel right in us kids. But this great man would humble himself before us as children and ask for our forgiveness. See, I don't hold it against him anymore. I know that he's a sinner, though saved. A saint, I should say, with still remaining sin in him. That's how I saw him. Parenting is like the ministry. Let me, let me read you this. Hopefully we'll encourage you, fathers, mothers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I have planted, Apollos have watered, but God has given the increase. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So now he that planted and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Now apply that to parenting. We cannot give the increase. We are to water, we are to plant, we are to cultivate, we do all that. But we have no power to change the heart. And God does not measure my parenting by whether those children were converted. He only measures my parenting and yours by whether I was faithful in representing him. In the task he gave me. The fruit is his. The task is mine. Now that was the first reason why it's not easy to raise our children. Looking at our own heart. But secondly. God has also not given an easy task. Because the children he gave us. But let's sing first together before we look at that. 428 verse 5. And what a prayer. Oh, teach me, Lord, the way that I should go. As an individual, as a parent, as a grandparent, then shall thy servant walk therein forever. Let's sing verse 5 of 428.
Fathers, provoke not your children. Who are these children that God gives us? How are these children when they come into our arms, when they are born? Now we all know, we've been in the parenting work, our children come into our hands as a lost sinner. They come, unless the Holy Spirit has regenerated them before they're born, but if that's not the case, then they are born with a carnal nature that is utterly hostile to God. Uh, those are the children we are to parent. To be honest, to put it this way, they arrive in battle gear to fight warfare against you and me. Ultimately, against their creator. And when we make these doctrinal statements, our children are conceived and born in wrath, dead in trespasses and sin. But to be dead in trespasses and sin is not to be dead. It is to be alive to sin. Totally in battle gear. Now, Cute babies, Pastor. They're so cute. And they're so cuddly. And I know they are. Well, cuddle them all and please keep cuddling them. They need that. But these cuddly babies are like it says in Psalm 58. They go astray as soon as they be born. Speaking lies. And it's sad to think of this. The poison is like the poison of a serpent. You say, come on, God, to be so negative about it. Oh, it's not negative, it's reality. This is what we are by nature. They don't cuddle in our eyes. They are filled as God saw the human race in six, Genesis 6, 5, and the imagination of their thoughts was only evil continually. Is that too negative? I don't mean it negative. I mean it reality. We are getting our children in our arms as idolaters from their birth. They don't become idolaters. They are idolaters when they come out of the womb already. Never seen a birthday card yet. And I don't advise you to write one like that either. That would quote Romans 3, verse 10 to the end. But that is the reality. Unless regenerated, our children are spiritually dead, spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, having a heart of stone, And they will resist our authority. They will be proud in their wisdom. They see their life as I am king on my mountain and you don't get on my mountain. You see these little ones that are just born five, six months. They stiffen their bodies in anger. For what? They want you to serve them. 
instead of them serving you. Right? We all know that. And it's a, it's a distressing discovery when we finally see our children and then they, they, they are like this. They do not stiffen in anger because they can't get their way, but they already believe it is their right to have their own way. And therefore, they insist on it. Now, this sounds pretty negative, but I don't mean it that way. I mean this is realistic. Parenting is fighting the warfare, not against flesh and blood, these cuddly little kitties. Parenting is fighting the warfare against the darkness that lives in us as fallen human beings. And it's not only darkness that lives in us. It is loving the darkness on top of it. That's what parenting is. Well, that's a tough job. It is. It is the heart, friends. That is the problem. Not the behavior. That's the problem too sometimes. But it's the heart we need to focus on. Our children's heart need to be born again and be made new by God. Will there ever be a genuine joy in the obedience to his will? So if as a parent you're focusing on controlling wrong behaviors, if you're focusing on, on, on encouraging the right behaviors, while you are neglecting to address the heart. I forget now which author it was. He says all you're trying to do is dress up a corpse to look nice while you ignore the fact. It is a corpse. Now, that's a stark way of putting it. I understand. But if you're only focusing on the right behavior, you are wasting precious opportunities to go from the behavior to the heart of the behavior. That's parenting. To shepherd the heart of the child that's behaving perhaps in wrong ways. It's easy to control behavior. You take a big big enough stick or a big enough carrot. You either would use the power to use authority or you would coax them into right behavior. But that's not changing the heart. Parenting is on the heart focus. And when that changes, the behavior will change. And though our children need law and they need authority and they need boundaries and consequences and parents, that is absolutely true. Announcing and enforcing the law will never change the heart. Jesus wants to come us with his grace to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, who the Lord is. We need to bring him into that. That's different than just slapping a consequence. Though consequences are necessary. Of course they are. And and insisting on authority is important. But it doesn't change the heart. Only the gospel does that. 
It is the gospel that is the power of God to everyone that believeth. It is the grace and the goodness and the love of God that melts the heart. My father used to say to me something that I never quite understood. He says, son, the only thing that will melt in diamond is blood. I still remember that. It's only years later I understood what the good man meant. The only thing that will change the hard heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And fathers and mothers, I see my time is up already, so we can't really get into this provoking your your child to anger tonight. So I want to hurry this. But let's not think for a moment, the last time you had a conflict with your child or your conflict with your student, how did I represent the gospel into that? How did I approach this in the spirit of Jesus who held up the law like none other, never compromised, never lowered anything, but so different, didn't he, than the Pharisees who slapped the law everywhere and brought the people to despair, knowing that their behaviors and their choices were wrong, but there was no hope. There was no change. So, let's think this through together. We are to bring up our children in the fear of God and the admonition of the Lord. That means the nurture and the teaching of the Lord. But we are not to provoke them to anger. So, God says in Ephesians 6, my calling is not to bring them down in anger, or Colossians, not to bring them down in discouragement, but rather to bring them up in the nurturing and in the admonition of the Lord. And I will close with this only calling attention to this. You notice in our text, and ye fathers. Paul, didn't you know that there are also mothers at home? Didn't you know that also mothers can be aggravating kids into anger? Why does he only address the fathers and not the mothers, or at least together? And you could say, oh yeah, but fathers includes mothers. Well, that may be possible. But I think there's another reason. Fathers, we are the captain on board. God has given us the headship. I heard that last week. Not only of our wife, also of the family. We are the prophet. We are the priest. We are the king. And though our wife, our wife may take that over sometimes when we're absent, it is my responsibility as a father to be the prophet at home and to represent the teachings of God and to be the priest and to be the king. We have the headship. We're in that position. And even one day on the job as a father must convince you, Lord, I need thee every Hour. 
And there is no greater gift, fathers, that you can give to your wife and mother of your children. It's when they see you take parenting as your first responsibility. Above work, above hobby, above friends. When your wife sees that, you take charge as God calls you to and lead your family in a godly and understanding way, then you will have a very thankful, devoted wife. For they know there is with your position a singular gift that they don't have. And that's how God created it, as male and female. Honor it. Strive to be fathers first before you are workers. One closing anecdote. I became student minister in 1990. And I moved to New Jersey. And I was there only a month. And an old elder of the Franklin Lake Church called me up and says, could I just talk to you? And he says, yeah, sure. And with some trepidation, I anticipated the visit of this elder. And I will never forget that, that visit. A man who had, I believe, 10 or 11 children. All grown up. Three of them. Or two of them, I forget, left in church. Many of them forsaken the faith altogether. Gone into the world. And I never will forget the tears of the man who said to me, Brother Fergant, that is my fault. I take ownership. I was first a very hard worker on my business. Then I was very busy in the church that I served as an elder. And the leftover were for my family. And many of my children have said to me later, Father, that religion of yours is worthless. To me. You neglected. Your own children. I've never forgotten that. And I pray that I'll never have any of my kids say that to me. Fathers. Can I plead with you this week to have a chat. With your own spouse. And ask. Am I prioritizing my task as father in our family. Ask that question. Discuss it. May God bless these words. Amen. Beloved Lord, what hast thou given us as parents an impossible task? 
and yet and beautiful task. Thou knowest, O God, how our own hearts are our biggest enemy, our biggest obstacle to parent our children in a godly way, especially when sometimes things are rough, tiring, then to show Christ. And maybe, Lord, some of us say, I don't even know Christ, and yet I'm a parent. Oh, Lord, let that drive them also to thy feet this evening, that we may know thee in thy own personal grace and so represent thee as a father. Oh, blessed God, we ask for wisdom. We ask for grace to search our own hearts and our own families. And as we tonight have only come to this part of our text, and we pray, Father, that thou wilt graciously teach us all, search us all, and if there is sin to confess, O oh God, give us the grace to own it, to name it, and to shame it not only before thee, but even before our own families. And may this mark to be a beginning, a new beginning. In leading our church and leading the little church at home, bless us to be a prophet as fathers and as a priest at prayer and as a king in a kingly way. So go with us, Lord, in the week that this began and bless thou all of us as we journey home tonight. Keep us safe and well and help us in our daily task and our daily work. We pray tonight also for those that will be traveling. There's those coming back from the Netherlands. Spare them on their journey. Bless those of us traveling here, Lord, to uh, the Netherlands, Johan and his daughter, and also Larissa, and to Canada. We just pray for them as well. And gracious Lord, bless us all with a life that is living close to Thee. Independence only. For Jesus' sake, hear us. Amen.